Uh, it's great to be here with you. Um, so two men lived in a small village, and they got into a, a disagreement that they couldn't resolve. So they decided to talk to the town sage, the town wise man. The first man went to the sage's house, and he told him his side of the story. When he was done telling his version of the events, the sage told him, you're absolutely right. The next night, the next man comes to him and tells him his version of the story, which contradicted the first man's. The sage responded, you're absolutely right. Afterward, the sage's wife scolded him. Those men told you two different stories, and you told them both that they were absolutely right. That's impossible. How can both of them be absolutely right? The sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. This story that we're going to read together and explore, it might be a familiar story to you. You might have read it. And I want us to think about this question as, we, as, we, as I read the text in just a second. It's a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. And I want you to think about this. Who is right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? A commentator on this pa- uh, passage in Acts says that interpersonal conflicts can be complex and difficult to unravel. Ultimately, Who's right and who's wrong in this situation isn't the right question to ask, but I think it highlights when situations like this come up that can be complex. Who's right? Who's wrong? When you're in conflict with your child, when you're in conflict with your spouse, your significant other, does it matter who's right? Well, in some sense it does, but in some sense that also actually just creates more conflict. So let's read together Acts chapter 15 verses 36 through 41. After some days, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best to not take him, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and through uh, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us and that, um, Lord, it it tells us something of the nature of of even now as we think about conflict. But it tells us the nature of of ourselves and, and our sin, Lord, who we are. I pray that you would reveal that more to us as we go along and explore this passage. But mostly, Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would reveal your character, your goodness, your gospel to us, that we might be encouraged to love each other better, even in the midst of conflict. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story that we are exploring together, let's look at it. So Paul and Barnabas had just completed a missionary journey, and now they're in Antioch, ministering to the churches, preaching, teaching, uh, ministering to the church there, preaching, teaching, um, and and maybe it's time to travel again. Maybe it's spring and, uh, and travel became feasible again. And so Paul decides, at the Lord's leading, I'm sure, he says, let's go back and visit these churches. Let's go on another missionary journey. Let's visit them again and let's go see how they're doing. Well, as they're spending time there in, in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas get into a conflict. They get into a disagreement about who their secretary should be, who their assistant should be. Along the way in their first missionary journey in Acts 13, 13, we're not told the reason why, but John Mark bails on them. It could have been a, a number of reasons, and I love, I love the, the, the text because it doesn't actually tell us why. 
It doesn't tell us why John Mark actually bailed. It could have been persecution. It could have been opposition. It, was, it could have just been hard. He could have really just disliked Paul. I don't know. Maybe. Paul apparently had, took issue with him and how he, he resolved this issue of, and he, he wanted to leave. Well, Paul didn't agree that John Mark should go. He says, no, we can't have somebody go with us who, uh, who might bail on us again. But Barnabas, on the other hand, says we should take John Mark with us. Maybe he wanted to give John Mark a chance to live up to his potential. Maybe he knew John Mark was repentant, potentially, and he wanted to bring him along. You know, Barnabas' name means son of comfort, of encouragement, of consolation. And I think the name suits him. The one commentator on the passage says that encouragers look with the eyes of hope. We cannot help observing the mentality of the encourager in Barnabas because he refuses to give up on Mark. It's so good. We think about who's right and who's wrong in the situation. Doesn't that resonate a little bit with you? When we want a second chance, well, Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance. But Paul, on the other hand, says, no way. Maybe he knew that he wanted to take him along because he was his cousin. John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. Maybe he knew he, was a, he had an emotional investment in his agenda, that his main priority was not the gospel going forward. It was preserving his cousin, saving face potentially. Differences between parties become important because they've invested themselves in the issue, and especially an issue like this where family's involved, where the gospel going forward and an important mission is involved. Both sides are actually invested in this issue. Maybe Paul couldn't agree with Barnabas because he knew he had a soft spot for his cousin, and he knew that the gospel going forward without hesitation, without setback, was more important. John Piper says that uh, he sides with Paul, and he says, that here we see the weakness in a great man, in Barnabas. That here the bubble of idealism bursts on the needle of reality. So John Piper says, Barnabas was wrong, Paul is right. And in some ways, they both actually resonate. But what we want to look at this morning is actually, is, is this nature of conflict. Something I'm sure we're all familiar with. And so I want to make you a guarantee here. What we're going to do today is solve all the conflict in your life. You're going to leave here and you're going to never have conflict again. Just kidding. That's not going to happen. You will. But seriously, this conflict between two prominent church leaders actually gives us the means to explore how to, how to come to a resolution, um, resolution of conflict. We want to look at three headings briefly. Um, first, the source of conflict. Where does conflict begin? The result of conflict. How does, it, how does it resolve? How does it end? And what is the remedy for conflict? So let's look at those three things. So first, where does conflict begin? Well, if you've been close to another person, you know that conflict arises naturally as we come into contact, right, with another person. For some reason, you have your agenda in the world, and you run into somebody who does not have the same agenda, right? Spouses, you know what I'm talking about. Children with your parents, you know that uh, conflict arises, interpersonal conflict, because you don't see things clearly eye to eye. Anxiety comes up, boils up. Um, you're disagreeing about what steps to take in the future. Maybe you feel a sense of a loss of control. At the heart of all of this ultimately is pride, but it's complex. It really is. So what's the source of conflict? Well, the source of conflict is in us as human beings and, and as we come into contact with one another. We read Genesis 3, a, a portion of that text together in our confession time. 
But that's actually where we find the source, the true source of conflict. Adam and Eve set themselves up in an opposition to God and created conflict between them and, uh, and God, right? They fell into temptation, and because of that, the result of that was that, uh, 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 that God and them, there was a separation, a great separation, infinite gap between them. But what do they do? They go run and they hide. They hide from God, they realize they're naked, they cover themselves up, and they hide from each other. They go and they hide. When God comes to Adam and he tells him, Who's, uh, 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 what happened? Did you eat the fruit that I told you uh, not to eat? What does Adam say? The woman you gave me. It's her fault. There's a wedge. If Eve is standing there, which she is, she inevitably is like, how dare you? You are standing there too. You're at fault as well. So God goes to Eve and asks her, what does Eve say? The serpent, this creature, he's the one who made me do it. You see, there's a great wedge that's created in, in the fall that runs and ripples through all of creation. Why do we get into conflict? Well, it's because of this one event. We have lost harmony. We know that things don't work the way that they should. What's interesting about our passage is that this is, this is a mission trip strategy. <laughs> conflict arises and differences come into play even whenever they're trying to figure out what, which steps to take. So you know this, um, whenever you're trying to decide which Sunday school curriculum to get in the children's ministry, when you're trying to decide which uh, air conditioning unit to get in your new church building that you're renovating or, 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 uh, or constructing, whenever you're de- trying to decide on a strategy in your business and you have people who say so, it, it actually matters. What's the source of this? Well, in our own hearts. Ultimately, as we run in opposition and we find people who disagree with us, that's where it happens. And that's a product of the fall. You see, God's purpose for us is that we would live in harmony, but, but it's inevitable. We will run into conflict because of, it's, it's, it, because of the nature of it and how it wells up in our own hearts. And as we run into other people, we may be unable to resolve it because of our own stubbornness, our own error or ignorance on our side or the side of, of the other one we're in conflict with. Conflict is a fact of life in this fallen world. And sometimes conflict in Christian relationships do end up unresolved. So the source of conflict is, is interpersonal conflict is when we run into uh, uh, any other people. It's actually going to happen if you, if you say, I'm gonna, I don't want to get in conflict with anybody else. I'm going to go find myself a little place in the forest where nobody else is around. I guarantee you the bear will come and get in conflict with you or the snake. We can't find the harmony that we're actually looking for because we, are, uh, in essence, are the ones where the, uh, that, that originate the conflict too. So Paul and Barnabas just couldn't agree. Well, what results from this conflict then? Rod Mays says that people sin against each other or they think they've been sinned against and conflict is born. Pride, false assumptions, anger, and bitterness can result from the behavior and the attitudes of others. So what results from this conflict between Paul and Barnabas? Well, in verse 39, we come to the climax of the story, and it says, there arose a uh, sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commissioned by the brothers in the grace of the Lord. They go on uh, their mission. The Greek word that, we, we, that they translate, a sharp disagreement, is paroxysmos, and it, it means irritation or con, uh, contention. And the, when they translate the Hebrew word, ketsef, in the Old Testament, 
to Greek, in the Greek uh, Old Testament, they, you, uh, the word ketsef can mean violent anger or passion. There is a passionate response, a passionate uh, uh, disagreement between these two sides. They passionately argue their points. What happens when you get into conflict with another person, with your spouse? That's exactly what happens. We are most passionate whenever somebody, I think, when somebody we love disagrees with us. Well, that's exactly what happens. The result of this conflict is that Barnabas went one way and took John Mark with him uh, to Cyprus. And the other side of it, Paul took Silas with him and he went a different direction. I love this story because I think it highlights the humanity and, and, and really, I think, frailty of, of these two men. I picture this moment of uh, uh, just like I sometimes when I get in conflict with my wife, when I like storm off and I'm like, uh, you know, what's wrong with her? Can't she just see the bigger picture here? What's wrong? Man, and I think Paul and Barnabas, one, way, one of them at least was like, man, that guy is such an idiot. How does he not see the big picture? This wasn't a pleasant conflict. This disagreement resulted, this conflict resulted in them separating. Barnabas and John Mark went on to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas, and, and picked up Timothy in chapter 16, and they go back through Asia Minor, and they... Uh, minister to the churches there. Paul Tripps, uh, and we, if we think about what happens within us, I think he has this great, great quote. He says, there's a war that rages inside of me between a desire for good and a desire for sin. There are times when I feel like a prisoner held against my will. I didn't plan to get mad at the grocery store, but that guy made me mad. I didn't plan to be discontent, but it just enveloped me in the quietness of the car. That discussion wasn't supposed to de- uh, degenerate into an argument, but it did. How does it, what's the result of it? Well, anger and discontentment and frustration, and we, we, uh, we do that toward other people. So when we arrive at a place of conflict, there are different ways that we respond to it, right? You've heard the phrase, fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, we fight, we run, or we freeze. There's this uh, uh, show, Stranger Things, and I love this. There's this character, um, he's the dad of, of a couple of the main characters, their siblings, and there's all this commotion going on, and, um, and I think his name's Ted. But anyway, he's sitting there at the table, and this conflict's going on, and mom's super anxious and intervening in the kids' lives, and they're arguing with one another. She's confronting them because they're cussing or something, and the dad is just like shoving his face with like chicken because he loves KFC. But he's just oblivious to it, just frozen. And I'll tell you why. It make it seem as if he's just, he's just oblivious, but sometimes that's us in the middle of conflict. The result of it, it could be just that we're, uh, we freeze. We don't know what to do. Well, the result of conflict that God actually wants for us is that peace and harmony would actually be made. And sometimes that is impossible. I'm talking about normal disagreements here between people. I'm not talking about disagreements or moral failures that end up uh, driving a wedge between you and somebody else. I'm talking about normal conflicts that somehow get brought up to the surface of of us and um, and, uh, and and they could be we could be at peace, but we somehow can't. So Paul says that we should be at peace with all people as far as it's possible. We should live at peace with all people. What does God want for us? He, well, He wants for us to move forward and to reconcile with others. It's an impossibility. It seems it's an impossibility. If we rely on our own strengths, our own strength, it is an impossibility. There, 
uh, there are ways in which we just can't move toward another other person in our own strength, especially when we're hurt. What God asks for us here is actually, I think, in a lot of ways, impossible. Conflict drives us apart because we are, we are uh, uh, broken people. There's so much at stake if you give in, right? How can I let another person be right when they're absolutely not right? How, that's an injustice. How can I let that person win? It absolutely is an injustice in some sense. But listen to this. True peace is impossible when we rely on our own strength, on our own desires to make it happen. What we need is a remedy. What we need to do is grow to desire resolution, peace, more than we desire to be right. How do you find the power to move toward a person or move away from a person for a time so that you, uh, your intention is to actually reconcile with them? How do you do that? To die to yourself, to understand the other side, and to move toward and reconcile with another person. You know what's great about this conflict between Paul and Barnabas and Paul and John Mark, by implication, is, uh, is at the end of Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy, he actually uh, calls for John Mark to come and, and aid him. At the end of his life, he says, Luke is here with me in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, you, Luke is here with me and he's the only one. Send John Mark to me so that, uh, that he can minister to me because he's useful for me. Eventually, the, the God resolved this conflict between them. And Paul at one point ends up saying, I, that guy, send him to me. He's useful for me. That's our desire is for that to happen, but it takes years for that to actually play out in that way. Why? Well, partly because we don't desire the resolution of our conflict in the way that we should. But what do we need? Well, we need a remedy for conflict. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, I'm going to read 14 to 19. It says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Even now on, uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. So what kills conflict? And I I know we all want to know. Well, it starts in you as an individual. In order to move toward another person, you need to become more self-aware. You need to become more aware of your own perspective, your own emotional or investment in an issue. Uh, C.S. Lewis says you must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart, every wish to humiliate him or hurt him or to pay him out. The difference between this situation and the one in such you are asking God's forgiveness in this, is this. In your own case, we accept excuses too easily, and in other people's, we do not accept them easily enough. As regards my own sin, it is a safe bet, though not a certainty, that the excuses are not really so good as I think. As regards to other men's sins against me, it is a safe bet, though not a certainty, that the excuses are better than you think. One must therefore begin by attending to everything which may show that the other man was not so much to blame as we we thought. So I was talking to a student the other day, and 
He's uh, one, of the, one of the few, one of the r- rare students who's actually married that, I, that I'm ministering to. And I asked him, he's been married for almost a year, and I don't know how we got into this topic, but we did. And we were talking about uh, conflict, and, uh, and he eventually asked me, he's just like, so, so what do I do? What do I do to resolve the conflict between me and my wife in our marriage? And I said, have you ever stopped in the middle of a conflict and actually like checked your pulse, checked yourself and then reacted in a counterintuitive way? What do you normally want to do? Well, you want to fight. You want to be right, right? You want to win this argument because how dare they not see your side? I said, have you ever stopped, checked your pulse and then acted in a counterintuitive way? I said, "Um, instead of arguing your point, have you ever just stopped and said, I can see that you're upset. I'm sorry for how I'm acting that's upsetting you. What can I do for you? And he said, never, no way. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? No way, she's wrong. And I said, I said, that's exactly where we need to come to. If we're aware of ourselves, our own emotional investment, our own uh, desire, pride, desire to be right, if we die to that a little bit, maybe that's, maybe that's what's gonna lead us in a direction where we can actually be gracious to somebody else. Maybe, maybe even whenever they're wrong. So I have a question for you. What better time is there to give someone grace than when you feel like they don't deserve it? What better time is there to give someone grace than when you know they don't? Sometimes we, we think that the conflict is going to resolve whenever somebody makes amends and, and there's restitution and they get what they deserve. Does God do that to you? Does God do that to you? God gives grace to us when he knows we don't deserve it. He moves toward us. He reconciles us to himself. You know what's awesome about the gospel is that Jesus is the only one who is absolutely right. You know that when you enter into a conflict, you're never absolutely right. Jesus is the only one who laid claim to that, and it's true. They, if they, anyone accused Jesus of being wrong, they're actually dead wrong. But how did he respond to them? Even though he was right, he didn't claim his need to be right. He didn't fight and say, I'm right, you guys are all wrong. He simply laid down his rights for us. We run around claiming our rights and wanting to be wise in our own eyes. We dig our heels into the sand while Jesus willingly walked to the cross. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the punishment for the hostility that we created between us and God so that we, could, we wouldn't face the hostility of God, but that we would face a father whose gracious approval of us would be eternal. He looks at us and he embraces us even though we deserve the opposite. You know that's what Jesus did for you. If you're in Christ, he did it for you. And he did it for you even though he knew you would take advantage of his grace. Tim Keller says that God relentlessly offers his grace to people who don't deserve it, who don't seek it, who don't even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. If you look at your spouse in the way that Jesus looks at you and reconciles you to him, how do we, how do we not lay down our rights and, and, uh, when, this, when that's exactly what Jesus has done? How do we not put ourselves in some way, not to be abused by other people, but how do we put ourselves to resolve conflict in a way that we lay down our rights for the sake of another person and give them grace? You see, this is the place where we find, a re- find the remedy for conflict, right? This is the place we find remedy. And it's not so much a place, it's a person, right? The way we move to resolve conflict more quickly between us is if we take more steps 
toward Jesus. And we look at the one who's reconciled us to God. And then we go and we seek to live out this ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. No matter, in some ways, no matter how the other person responds, we move graciously. There's a, uh, this great scene in, in Goodwill Hunting. If you've seen the movie, it's kind of older now. But uh, Will uh, is uh, Goodwill Hunting. He's a genius, and, but he's, uh, he grew up in foster care and was abused, and he's, he lives at, at odds with everybody else. And once he gets close to people, he pushes them away kind of naturally, fear of abandonment, all kinds of stuff. Well, he eventually has to get seen by a therapist, which one finally sticks with him, uh, and a guy named Sean, who's, who Robin William plays. And uh, it's just a great moment whenever uh, he, Sean moves toward him, uh, uh, toward Will, and he tells him, um, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's this great scene. Will gets really upset, and he's just like, wait, I know what you're saying. I, but, and he starts shoving, shoving Sean away and says, not you too, not you, wanting to stay inside of his little bubble. But Sean pushes through and, and, and moves toward him and continues to say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He moves toward him graciously, um, and eventually, Will breaks down and, uh, and gives him a hug and just weeps in his arms. It's so awesome because it took Sean actually moving toward him, receiving the, the thrashing, the pushing, push through it, um, and, and when Will was not asking for it. It's pretty interesting. He moves toward him um, and gives him a hug. And I'm not telling you to move toward your spouse whenever they're mad at you because you might get punched. You might get smacked. They might see through uh, what you're trying to do um, and, uh, and smack you. It might happen. What I'm saying in principle here is uh, in order for us to love people, in order for us to resolve conflict and come to a resolution, what we need to do is consider the work that Jesus has done for us, that he's reconciled us, and that he actually did it before we even made a step toward him. He moved toward us. Thank God, in order to resolve conflict more quickly, is that we move toward other people graciously, even whenever they're being a jerk. Even when they're being a jerk. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you loved us even when we were uh, jerks. Lord, even though we uh, were at odds with you, hostile toward you, it was at that time you showed us your love. It was at that time you moved toward us And you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, to break the hostility between you and us. And so we thank you. We thank you that we didn't actually have to accomplish that, that you did it for us. And so we lean into that, and I pray that you would help us more and more as we come into conflict with other people. You would help us when there are these sharp disagreements between us. You would help us see this gospel more clearly, and we would begin to move toward other people, not need to be right but need to love them more deeply the way that you've loved us. So we thank you for that, and we pray that your spirit would do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.